From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. This, of course, would be my opportunity to welcome you back to the Cannabis Podcast, but maybe this is your very first visit. If it is, well, an especially warm welcome for you. Ahead, we've got 30 or 40 minutes of information on the plant that I absolutely love, cannabis. Perhaps you have some similar interests. That may be why you're here. Before we get too much further, let me remind you this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction and is intended purely for entertainment and perhaps educational purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. On our first episode for the fall of 2023, we're celebrating the arrival of samples to BC retailers. Yes, we are. Also, some thoughts on how to deal with potency inflation, and some companies are finding assistance with some government grants. We have a story on that. The Netherlands has destroyed some excess cannabis, which seems to happen a lot in this industry. In Greece, a flock of sheep starts jumping at the moon after consuming some cannabis. On Cultivar Corner, we stop at Pineapple Buds and Oliver for their tasty sativa purple gushers. Plus a look at stigma still alive and well in little hidden ways in family celebrations. All of that and more on episode 133 of the Cannabis Podcast. So before we get too deep into the program, let me thank you for being a listener. I always appreciate the fact that you are here. Let me also welcome another patron. Gage has joined the ride over at patreon.com. He signed up for the Entourage Effect. That means, just like Rob and Justin, Gage gets access to ad-free episodes, plus a couple of other perks. And I don't want to forget Tony and Roger, also patrons at Patreon. Thanks for supporting me, guys. I truly appreciate it. Let me also thank those at buymeacoffee.com slash Cannabis Podcast. Kevin and Jordana, thank you for your continued support. And I also got to thank Mr. Jeff (laughs) from Smoker Farms. Really liked the interview we did on the last episode. In fact, he bought me some doobies. So thanks, Jeff. I truly appreciate your support in each and every way. And I can't wait to try out those Master Kush Ultra Vapes that are coming soon. And let me also give you an update on Harvest 2023, which is pretty well in the bag. Or should I say in the jars? <laughs> That's where it currently is anyways, in a curing process. Harvest was done, the drying took place, and ended up with about, well, I guess mid-cure, ended up with about five ounces of Acapulco Gold, and 10 ounces of Aurora, which is a cross of Northern Lights and Afghan. My wife really loves the smell of that one, and I have to say, this is some of the stinkiest, stickiest weed I've ever grown. And it really is exciting to watch it go through that curing process and pull out a bud and think, wow, wow, that that really looks pretty good and cured nicely and, and trimmed nicely and not a bad effect. In fact, it is the Acapulco Gold that has been the inspiration for the episode today. So just a little update. Definitely uh, did use some refertilizer. I have a sneaking suspicion that contributed to the quantity and quality of our buds. Some of the best cannabis I have ever grown this year. Mm. I only wish I could share some with you. And now let's get to our first story. And for that, we're going to theounce.ca and my buddy David Wiley, a story written by David and published just a couple of days ago. LPs can now give samples to BC cannabis retailers. Cannabis producers are now allowed to give out samples to BC cannabis retailers under a new rule change. The BC government changed its rules this week to allow federally licensed cannabis producers to promote their cannabis by providing product samples for a nominal fee. 
There is no prescribed maximum size for cannabis samples, says the provincial government bulletin. However, cannabis samples are expected to be of reasonable size and quantity and should have little retail value. A sample shall not be used for any type of inducement. Stores are not allowed to provide samples to customers. And, of course, we get asked that question almost every day. Retainers who receive samples are not allowed to share them with other license holders. The province says the change is in response to industry feedback and calls it a first step in helping federal license holders to promote cannabis with samples while meeting legislative requirements. The B.C. government's cannabis retail store and producer retail store handbooks have been updated to reflect the change. The Liquor and Cannabis Regulation Branch, the LCRB, is also exploring further changes, including allowing cannabis stores to provide samples to other licensees and allowing marketing licensees to accept and provide samples to other licensees. Cannabis consumption inside cannabis stores remains prohibited even when the store is closed. Some of the fine print for BC cannabis retailers. Licensees have to keep records relating to cannabis samples that contain the following information. The unique excise tax identifier from the original packaging of the cannabis sample. The date the licensee received the cannabis sample. The federal license holder and name of the representative that provided the cannabis sample the nominal purchase amount that the licensee paid for the cannabis sample and the amount or quantity of cannabis sample received. And it seems <laughs> every time you wish for something and it arrives, you start to wonder about, hmm, maybe we had it better before <laughs> than the way it is now. That's a lot of requirements and regulation and a lot of bookkeeping. But at least we can now get samples in a retail environment. Now we just have to keep track of it. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And I think it's time for a chuckle before we go too much further. This is a story from 420intel.com, and I mean no difference or no regard or ill regard to sheep in relation to this story, but I still find it kind of funny. Sheep devoured nearly 100 kilograms of medical cannabis in Greek greenhouse during a storm. Greece is among the European Union nations that have legalized cannabis for certain medical purposes. The country had grown and exported cannabis before its possession was banned in 1936. A flock of hungry sheep in a Greek town devoured nearly 100 kilograms of cannabis grown inside a greenhouse recently, according to a Newsweek report. The animals were seeking refuge amid the deadly storm Daniel that hit Greece, Libya, Turkey, and Bulgaria. The therapeutic marijuana was being cultivated in the greenhouse near the town of Elmiros in central Greece's Thessaly. The shepherd noticed that something was wrong when his flock started showing strange behavior, the report said. The sheep were jumping higher than goats, which never happens, Giannis Buranis, the owner of the farm, reportedly told a local radio producer. In a similar incident in India last November, the police in Uttar Pradesh, Mathura, told a cart that rats ate more than 500 kilograms of marijuana kept at police warehouses. And funny, there's no story about whether those rats were jumping high as well. And for our next story, we're going to StratCan.com. And this is an interesting story done by a contributor. Last spring, a Canadian laboratory conducted potency testing on 46 different cannabis flower products and found that the THC levels of every sample was anywhere from 9 to 48% lower than what was indicated on the labels. In the United States, meanwhile, a study revealed that 70% of samples tested 
were more than 15% lower than the THC potency numbers reported on the label. Reports like these fuel allegations about potency inflation. Are a few unscrupulous growers and labs using underhanded tactics to inflate potency and command a higher price for their products? Or might potency inflation be a symptomatic of a deeper problem? Namely, a lack of universal standards in an industry that is only five years old. To add to the conversation, we'd like to suggest the latter. And we've identified four areas where the industry needs to align to help combat potency inflation. Defining an acceptable potency range for products. Defining a representative sample. Establishing a standard potency testing method. Agreeing on the definition of key terms. Let's start by explaining how potency is measured and reported. First of all, potency is a misleading term, said Rana Tayarara, Senior Director of Commercial Product Development at Labstat. What a lab is really measuring is cannabinoid concentrations, and concentration is never a single number. Due to measurement uncertainty and the challenges of measuring the concentration of any compound, potency results are given from the lab as a range. For example, THCA might be reported on a certificate of analysis from different labs as Lab A at 23% plus or minus 5%, Lab B, 25%, plus or minus 3%. So which is correct? They may both be correct. The actual THCA concentration of that particular sample might be 22%, which falls within the range given by both labs. If you're the grower, you surely prefer the results from Lab B, and that's what you want on your label. However, if another label tests the same sample, they may report a lower potency number and still be correct. Starting with a representative sample of a cannabis batch is another vital part of getting accurate potency results. However, it's extremely difficult to generate a sample that represents the composition of an entire product batch. To illustrate, imagine that you want to measure how many walnuts are in a pan of brownies. To take a sample, you cut out a small piece from the middle of the pan. You might think you have a good idea of how many walnuts are in the entire pan based on that sample. But here's the problem. The walnuts don't evenly distribute themselves throughout the pan. A piece near the corner may have fewer nuts than a piece in the middle. The only way to know the number of walnuts in the entire pan would be to count them all and ruin the brownies in the process. Measuring THC in an entire product batch is similar. Cannabinoid concentration can vary depending on several factors, such as the plant's location in the grow room, light sources, how crowded the room is, and more. It can even vary within a single flower. One of the biggest contributors to ambiguity in the cannabis potency discussion is the lack of standardized methods for cannabis potency testing. Consumers are often surprised to learn that, while Health Canada requires a lab to validate its methods, it does not regulate which method to use, nor does the agency recommend one method over another. That said, there are three primary methods for potency testing. High-performance liquid chromatography, or HPLC, gas chromatography, GC, liquid chromatography mass spectrometry, LCMS. HPLC is the typical method that labs use, including LabStat, due to its sensitivity and precision. It can quantify the big four cannabinoids that Health Canada requires, THC, CBD, THCA, and CBDA, without heating the sample, which increases precision. However, not all labs use HPLC, and the lack of a regulatory standard introduces variability in cannabis testing, which produces different results and contributes to potency inflation. The industry's lack of standardized language also contributes to the problem. I attended an industry conference not long ago where one presenter started his presentation just by defining some of the terms he would be using, said Taraya. We need to get to a point where we all understand and accept common terms to remove ambiguity. Take, for example, the term dab. 
It can mean many things depending on context, but in the cannabis industry, it refers to the method used to consume marijuana-based oil and extract concentrates. Interpreting the term without this context can lead to miscommunication, making it crucial for the industry's growth that we all agree on definition of key terms. Canada has a great opportunity to lead the global cannabis industry, but potency inflation continues to erode credibility. To solve the problem, LPs, regulators, scientists, and consumers must work together. A great starting point is establish an industry standard potency range when reporting test results to replace the single number printed on labels. Introduce a regulatory standard for potency testing to help reduce variability and increase accuracy. Define a procedure for taking a representative sample for testing. And define industry terminology to help reduce miscommunication and promote uniformity throughout the industry. And that's some interesting thoughts from the folks at Labstat. We picked up the story from Stratcan.com. Do you think there is a potency inflation problem going on right now in cannabis? What are your thoughts? And maybe it's related to potency, maybe it's not. Maybe it's related to a lack of potency. A story from mjbizdaily.com on Denmark destroying 145,000 kilograms of cannabis. Much of the medical cannabis produced under Denmark's regulatory system has not made it to market and was intentionally destroyed for various reasons, according to government data. Just over 300 permits have been issued for the destruction of 145,000-plus kilograms of cannabis, the Danish Parliamentary Health Committee said in a reply to a parliamentary inquiry earlier this year. The figure includes all cannabis destroyed by the companies with an authorization to cultivate cannabis within the country's pilot program. The data indicates the amount of legal cannabis destroyed under Denmark's nearly six-year-old medical pilot program surpassed the nation's total marijuana output reported to global drug regulators. The Danish medical cannabis pilot program came into force in 2018. The destroyed cannabis is equivalent in weight to roughly 79 Tesla Model Y vehicles. <laughs> no. Uh, sidebar. Where did they get that referenced in terms of the comparison of weight? <laughs> Do you know how much a 79 Tesla Model Y weighs? <laughs> I sure as heck don't. What a bizarre reference to put in in a comparison of weight. <laughs> the numbers underscore a significant amount of legal cannabis grown in certain countries is never sold for various reasons, such as poor quality, regulatory factors, or insufficient demand, and is subsequently destroyed. All four types of cultivation are licensed, and the companies produce and destroy cannabis, the Danish Medicines Agency spokesperson told MJ Biz Daily. As our destruction procedures are not specific for the cultivation purpose or origin, the destroyed quantity may include cannabis cultivated for the pilot program, imported for the pilot program, as well as cannabis cultivated under the development scheme, the spokesperson said. While the government can't say why the cannabis was destroyed, the reply to the parliamentary inquiry noted that the destruction figure could include faulty or discarded products and all cannabis grown under the development program. So I guess it's interesting to note that Canada is not the only country where cannabis is destroyed before it gets to any retail markets, and the reasons for that could be vast and varied. This is such an interesting industry. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Go to the corner, go to the corner, oh yeah. Go to the corner, please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, we're back in the Okanagan. In fact, we're in the South Okanagan, down in a pretty little town called Oliver. 
And that's where we find pineapple buds. And pineapple buds has been growing some pretty fine weeds since legalization occurred. And you may remember we have talked about pineapple buds in the past. And we have, I think we've done a, one or two of their cultivars before. And, of course, Kyra Horvath is the master grower with pineapple buds. Her vision bringing this to life. And my, oh, my, <laughs> are we in for a treat today. I'm going to give two shout-outs, actually, not only just for the bud, but here's a shout-out to Keto Cannabis in Kelowna. They're offering a pretty good delivery service, pretty fast, in fact. And uh, because of some circumstances, I could not get out to get ready for Cultivar Corner this particular time. So I decided to order some, have it delivered, and showed up real quick. Unfortunately, I didn't get the delivered driver's name, but hey, thanks, dude. <laughs> I appreciate it. A sometime listener of the podcast and a often-time deliverer of cannabis. And what I got from Pineapple Buds is Purple Gushers. Now, here's where it gets interesting from the cannabis world. We've talked about this before. It's, it's difficult when our information gets changed, confused, <laughs> the different places that we look. So if I go to the Pineapple Buds website, which is pineapplebuds.com, I have a link to it on the show page where you can check it out for yourself. Uh, interestingly enough, and I've talked about this before, and it's really not a slag at the producers because it takes some time. And if they're too busy growing great cannabis, maybe they don't have anybody building their website because I don't find any terpenes or actually any cultivars listed on the website at the moment. Uh, we go to the cultivar section and it just says more new drops are coming soon, but no details. So I couldn't find any details about pineapple buds other than a couple of write-ups that I found on a couple of sites and let me just pull up one of those. And this is where I start to get some differing information. Because one of the sites that I pulled up is strainy.ca, a site we just discovered a little while ago. And if I go to strainy.ca, they talk about Purple Gushers. The strain info released by Pineapple Buds is an indica-dominant hybrid commonly found in flower. <laughs> well, when I look at the package for Pineapple Buds Purple Gushers, it is sativa-dominant. <laughs> Now, I know we're supposed to get away from the sativa indica whole <laughs> differentiation, but it's still in use, people. <laughs> and when we get this confused, just like if I think this is a sativa and I smoke it, it, the effects could be a whole lot different than what they would be if I thought I was smoking an indica. Now, here's the other difficulty, because knowing already that they're indicating it's an indica when the package says sativa, are the terpenes going to be accurate? I don't know. But they're the only terpenes that I could find. And they are caryophylline, humulene, limonene, and lipulol. It does tell me the total terpenes on the package. The total terps for this is 4.4%. And that's evident when you open up the package. And oh my, my, my. A flavor profile. So Purple Gushers offers a delightful aroma. And boy, that is true. Mmm, really tangy. That's some really dang cannabis. And a flavor profile of sweet and fruity notes complemented by hints of pineapple and earthiness. Mmm. Boy, all of that is wrapped up right in there. When consumed, this strain provides a body high that promotes a sense of calm and relaxation while also offering cerebral effects. So maybe they have covered off the sativa side of things <laughs> in that little claim. I don't know. Let's get some weed ready. Time we gave it a chest. This is Pineapple Buds uh, Purple Gushers. I'm going to get a joint prepared. <laughs> and then I'm also going to get some to put into my Air Max. 
and we'll see what it tastes like from the vaporizer perspective. Oh, Jesus, this stuff is stinky. Oh, and sticky. <laughs> wow. I love we're just getting such sticky weed lately. The, the whole industry has just taken a turn, and my goodness, we are getting some fine cannabis in the legal world in Canada with legal cannabis for almost five years now. Can we realize that? <laughs> That's coming up in just a month or so. Actually, less than a month, probably about two weeks. We are hitting the five-year mark for legal cannabis in Canada. That is pretty cool. Oh, oh just <laughs> once you're finished working with this bud, your fingers are, and shall we say, rather aromatic. Oh, wow. Really a pungent aroma. Such dank cannabis, so sticky. Hmm. I'm envisioning how this is going to work just by the fact that it's really look good looking weed and really good smelling weed. And that's enough to get me a joint and to get me some in my Air Max. So let me get my joint prepped. Oh boy, this stuff smells really good. Mmm, such a strong over. And now we're going to find out, I guess. Well, we'll see whether I can tell whether it's a sativa or an indica. <laughs> Best to try this in the daytime rather than late at night, if you're, especially if you want to do some sleep and it is, in fact, a sativa. That could be a little shocking. <laughs> okay, so now let's get my Air Max warmed up. Let's listen for the beep. Aha, ready to warm up, set my temperature, get my weed inside my little glass container. My little glass tube, probably going to be two or three of those little glass tubes we're going to sample today with pineapple buds, purple gushers. Alrighty, I am up to speed on my Air Max. I got my joint rolled. What should we start first? Let's start with the Air Max first. Let's get a little flavor, shall we? So here's the information that I found on a uh, site. Okay, so this also doesn't have some terpenes. Perfect. This is information from the Ontario Cannabis Store about Purple Gushers. Purple Gushers is bred in-house by pineapple buds crossing a consumer-favorite cultivar, Hawaiian Pineapple, with Tiki Madman's Gushers. Now, Hawaiian Pineapple, we did cover on Cultivar Corner back in episode 123. So we have been to the Pineapple Buds farm before to get some weed. We've gone back, and this time it's Purple Gushers, and here are a bit more information from this site. This result is a unique and potent sativa that has a loud tropical taste not found anywhere else in the market. The dark purple flowers glisten with trichomes, covering every surface, and the bud structure showcases the beauty of this cultivar. Purple Gushers tastes of sweet pineapple with a spicy gas exhale. Oh, is it ever aromatic. My goodness. THC 26 to 32%. My terps are sitting at 4.4, and the THC on my bag at 29.6. And now in all of that talking, I probably know the Air Max is still going, so let's do my first hit of Pineapple Buds Purple Gushers. Oh, there's that loud tropical taste. Mmm. Oh, that is a very unique taste. Tasting a little bit of that sweetness, kind of a pineapple thing with a... Mmm. 
Yeah, a little bit of gas on the exhale. Now let's take a peek at one of the buds, get the jeweler's loop out before we light the joint. Some nice buds in here. They uh, look really well cured. Lots of effort put to those. Nice size. Mmm. Oh, and each bud is just oh, really, really a deep smell. Mmm. And the jeweler's loop takes it. Oh, look at those trichomes. Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh, very, very frosty. Okay, let's try it in the joint. Oh, and I'm already getting a bit of buzz from that hit that I got off of the Air Max. That's always a pleasant surprise. And here is the joint of Purple Gushers from Pineapple Buds. Okay, you really get the gassy exhale when you're smoking the joint. And a little bit of spice. Again, the terpenes, caryophylline, humulene, limonene, linalool. Strain name, Hawaiian pineapple crossed with gushers. Sativa dominant, THC 26 to 32%. Mine sitting at 29.6. Mmm. And now, if you remember that first description I said, this said this was going to be a body stone with some cerebral effects. But I think for me, it's moving right into those cerebral effects. Mmm. Oh, let's have another taste out of the Air Max. Oh, yeah, that's when you really pick up those. Mmm. That, that, I guess it's the fruitiness, the sweet pineapple. Mmm. It's like I popped a pineapple into my mouth there. Okay, so it's going to be my second bowl in the Air Max. Oh, buzz is coming on. Oh, yes, it is. The buzz coming on really nice and strong. Still got the joint going. Going to pop another toke from the joint. Mm, got to learn not to hold on in so long in the lungs. Recent evidence suggests that we don't need to be doing that. And that may be why I was coughing so much through some of my earlier cultivar corners. <laughs> oh, oh, the flavor through the Air Max, just so fruity. Mm -mm -mm. The flavor, not bad through the joint either. Oh, and here are my happy eyes. <laughs> oh, nice cerebral effect. Oh. I just love that buzz. <laughs> You've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. I just love being high. And this is one of those highs that I'm really enjoying, looking forward to it. I kind of had a sneaking suspicion that the bud was going to be really nice, because everything that Kyra and her team do at Pineapple Buds, really, really nice weed. Gorgeous structure. Now let's take a look and see if we can see some of those purple elements. I do see some of those purple elements as well. And every bud you pop out, just oh, so aromatic. And I got a bud down on my table again, and it is so sticky. I can bring that sucker up a number of inches before that big bud pops off. Mm -mm -mm. It is so much fun smoking weed. It is so much fun sampling different weed. And it's so much fun sharing that experience with you. Because who knows, you may be able to pick up the same weed. And while, of course, we can't guarantee you're going to get the same effect that I do, because cannabis effects are different, 
I'm pretty confident that if you were to try this one, you will be pretty pleased. Very nice taste. Love the taste in the vaporizer. Love the taste in the joint. And here I am. I'm about halfway through the joint. Finished off my second tube out of the Air Max. And shall we say, I am a flying. <laughs> oh my, that's really nice. Really, I love the cerebral effects. I'm just feeling buzzed, energetic, oh, creative. Just love to get out there and do some stuff, <laughs> which is kind of appropriate. So I'm going to fall on the side that this is sativa dominant. So far, from my perspective, I'm not feeling many indica effects. Now, maybe hours from now, <laughs> I maybe as it starts to wear off and I find myself lying down on a couch or something. But right now, there is no couch in my future. There's just some daytime activity. Some enjoyment coming from being high on a really beautiful sativa. Love the taste. Love the look. Immaculately cured. Mm, growing some fine weed down in Oliver. That is Purple Gushers from Pineapple Buds. Mm. They are doing one fine job. Sharing stories about good weed while trying good weed. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And let's talk now a story from MJBS Daily on cannabis companies in Canada using some government funding to help them out. More Canadian cannabis companies are tapping government funding sources to finance research and other projects as private sector capital has become harder to come by. MJBS Daily found that more than $3 million Canadian dollars worth of federal funding was provided to almost two dozen companies over the past year, according to the government's grants and contributions portal. Since 2018, the year Canada legalized recreational cannabis, roughly $32 million worth of funding has been provided to dozens of cannabis businesses by federal government organizations through business support programs. The funding does not include government money earmarked for pandemic-related programs. Over the past five years, the federal contributions have ranged from $7,300 to Ritki Cannabis to commercialize a wine-style non-alcoholic cannabis beverage to $5.4 million to PBG Biopharma, made available through the government's Regional Economic Growth Through Innovation Program. Most of the funding was for research-related activities, but some was used for general business expansion. For instance, in 2020, Western Economic Diversification Canada, a federal economic development body, awarded the now-defunct Tantalus Labs $2.9 million to expand its greenhouse to increase cannabis production. The funding was secured through the Regional Economic Growth Through Innovation Program. Executive told MJBiz Daily the government money was essential to execute targeted research and development projects, but generally shouldn't be counted on to fund day-to-day -day business costs. If we didn't have the grant money, we would not be as far as we are right now. We would be struggling. CannaStream Solutions co-founder and CEO Usukumo Yuker told MJBiz Daily in a phone interview. CannaStream Solutions has received a number of grants since 2021, totaling close to $500,000. The National Research Council Canada, the nation's primary research agency, helps small and medium-sized businesses increase their innovation capacity and take concepts to market. An NRC spokesperson told MJBiz Daily via email that cannabis companies might be eligible for the IRAP funding if they have the appropriate Health Canada-issued license. The number of cannabis-related projects and approved IRAP funding has grown steadily in recent years. In the fiscal year ended March 2023, 42 cannabis-related projects received contributions totaling $4.3 million. 
Since 2018, 107 projects have received $11 million in contributions from the NRC. One of the companies that has received contribution is Nova Scotia-based licensed cannabis producer Aqualitis. So far this year, Aqualitis has been approved for two NRC programs, a youth employment contribution for $30,000 and an R&D contribution through the IRAP for $173,000. Myrna Gillis, co-founder and CEO, said Aqualitis also benefit from a provincial incubator called Invest Nova Scotia, formerly known as InnovaCorp. Gillis sent a $5,000 grant from the then InvaCorp helped Aqualitis produce a professional pitch video to get them in front of Arcview Capital, which facilitates capital for small businesses. Tanner Stewart, co-founder and CEO of licensed producer Stewart Farms in New Brunswick, said one of the most useful programs for any cannabis company is Scientific Research and Experimental Development, SRE and ED Tax Incentives. The SRE&ED is a federal program intended to encourage businesses to conduct research and development. The thing about SRE and D&D is you're not going to get it back until after the end of your fiscal year, when the money has been spent on research through the previous fiscal year. It all comes down to the strength of your thesis and ensuring you're researching something new, something that is not already out there. He said his company has received around $700,000 over the past three fiscal years. Some innovation in the cannabis world being funded from some government funding. And that story from mjbizdaily.com. So let's talk stigma. <laughs> the old-fashioned stigma, the kind of stuff that's that's hidden in the weeds and you don't even realize that it's going on. This last weekend, we went to Edmonton to celebrate the 70th birthday of my brother-in-law, Dave. Dave, if you happen to be listening, I know you're not a regular listener, but happy birthday, belated, even though. <laughs> we had an opportunity to get the whole family back on my wife's side. Hadn't been together in probably 10 years. So it was, it was a great concept, and it was nice to get everybody back together again. But do you know the family dynamics? There's always someone in that family that is pushing the others. And in this case, it is my sister-in-law. Now, not Caroline, who is a frequent listener to the podcast. We, in fact, talked about that a little bit. <laughs> Everybody's amazed that she continues to listen. But I'm glad you're here, Caroline. So thank you for being a listener. No, I speak of my other sister-in-law, and, and just for the purposes of the story, I won't name her just because it'll be easier. <laughs> Here's where the stigma started. So I arrived, we arrived on Friday night. Now I have to say, I prepped for the weekend because this was the first time flying in Canada since legalization had occurred. So I knew I could take some weed with me. I stocked up on the wildlife pre-rolls. In fact, I picked up four packs of them. I picked up their cranberry crunch, a hybrid, their Tim Buds, a hybrid, their white blaze and their blackberry gelato, a nice indica, so that I wouldn't have to do any rolling. I wouldn't have to have any paraphernalia with me and take any papers or any of that. I could just pull out a joint and smoke it outside because I knew we were going into an Airbnb. We were renting the place. Now I smoke in my house all the time, but hey, I'm not stupid. <laughs> I may be a cannabis smoker, but it doesn't mean that I don't understand the world. <laughs> So here's the story and why this becomes a stigma story. We arrived uh, Friday night, probably around 10.30. So it's dark outside and we arrived from the airport. Everybody else is sleeping except my two sister-in-laws who, who greet us. And uh, I, as I would, I stopped before going into the house to pull out my first pack of joints, smoked a joint or two because I was kind of 
needing to relax after the after the airplane ride, so I did. I think I probably smoked two joints. Found myself a nice secluded area outside by the steps, nobody around, not in the house, no windows anywhere near me, and smoked a couple of joints. And then I come into the house and I proceeded to be derided by my sister-in-law, the aforementioned one that I spoke of before, that I am not to smoke in the house. Do not smoke in the house. This is an Airbnb and we don't want to have any smoking in the house. And my first response was, well, I, 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 I didn't smoke in the house. Did you see me smoking in the house? No, you didn't. But she was relentless. She carried on with this same diatribe of telling me not to smoke in the house, that it was really important not to smoke in the house. <laughs> and I said, I haven't smoked in the house. Clearly to me, that is nothing but stigma against cannabis. And then there was a sidebar to that. Not only was I not to smoke in the house, but if I was to go outside, I was to go on the other side of the house so the neighbors next to us could not see me. <laughs> now, if that's not stigma, I don't know what is. <laughs> Now, I love my sister-in-law dearly. I've known her for, well, f almost 50 years, as long as I've been married to her sister. Uh, she's a sweetheart, but she can be a bit controlling. And this is one of those cases where it became a bit controlling and the stigma was so pronounced for me that I spent a lot of time out <laughs> smoking joints outside, but I sure as heck never smoked anything in the house. And there are no pictures will, which will clarify anything else. So despite what anybody tells you, I didn't smoke anything in that Airbnb. And I never had any intent to. So I don't know why I was scolded so much for doing so. Let me thank you once again for being a listener. I truly appreciate that you're here. If you'd like to help out more, there's a couple of ideas I can offer you. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash cannabis podcast and if you like what you hear and you feel so inclined, you can buy me a virtual doobie. Or you can go to patreon.com and you can become a patron of the Cannabis Podcast. You'll find all the links and the show page right at the top right. You'll see a whole list of icons. That's it for episode 130 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout Podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while, while we, we break, break it all down. down.